Yes. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Connect with Carrie through her candid, often funny, and always informative weekly blog. There, you'll read, learn, and make comment about her life as a 21st century wife, mother, daughter, and entrepreneur. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Gray. My guest today is Mr. Charles Morgan, founder, chairman, and CEO from 1972 to 2008 of Axiom, the pioneering and leading database company headquartered in central Arkansas. This man seems to have lived five lifetimes in one. In the beginning, at just 17, he was a young, ambitious, and audacious fellow working for his entrepreneurial father. Later, he was a smart, innovative system engineer working for IBM. That is when I think he saw an opportunity and founded Axiom with a staff of 25. Over the next 35 years, Charles grew his baby to a publicly traded company with 7,000 employees globally and $1.5 billion in revenues. That's billion with a B. Whether you realize it or not, your life may, has probably changed because of the inventive work of Mr. Charles Morgan. In true entrepreneurial fashion, and after a tumultuous ending at, at Axiom, Charles became interested in yet another technology company, First Orion, a phone privacy app being used today by T-Mobile and its 80 million customers. In addition, Charles Morgan is an author, I love this, race car driver, and has served on many tech boards. Today, he serves on the board of Anuvo, another publicly traded technology company headquartered in Little Rock, Arkansas. It is a pleasure to welcome to the table the smart, ambitious, visionary, and risk taker and man who changed all our lives, Mr. Charles Morgan. Thank you. <laughs> He's that was a, that was a really uh, quite an introduction. Uh, thank you very much. You're and, welcome. Uh, it's you all know, true. I, I I I heard a little bit, figured out a little bit about you when uh, uh, before I accepted this gig here to come and do your show. But uh, as you do, I like dreamers, and I like to help people with their entrepreneurial dreams. Uh, but not just that. You know, I'm all about trying to enhance our economic future for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I guess the older you get, the more, believe it or not, you learn. And <laughs> you've indicated that, that you learn a lot. Every time you do something, you learn a lot. And the the new business that I'm in right now is, I tell people this to go crazy, it's going to be bigger than Axiom. And it's uh, it's incredibly challenging and fun and exciting, uh, but for me, it's it's about the people, the technology, developing strategies that I know are you know going to be winning strategies and technologies that'll be winning winning technology. Because it's because it's about your phone and everybody's yeah. got a phone. Our, our our current technology, literally, we're the only company in the world who's figured out how to ta- stop all these robocalls. You hear all this, ro- everybody gets robocalls. Mm-hmm. Well, if you get a T-Mobile phone, you you virtually get no robocalls. Well, that's I've, worth changing for right there. Yeah, I've gotten, I I got I actually got one yesterday. I was very upset, the first one in about 10 days. Uh, but it isn't the government mm. about to make legislation to stop robocalls. Oh, that's a great idea, Carrie. Are you telling the crooks that you're going to pass a law to tell them to quit being crooks? So you're not concerned. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. Was that was a brilliant idea. I Carrie. love Charles Morgan. He just tells it like it is. He's the most honest, open guy I've ever I've ever read about. So <clears> you <throat> you you don't think that's going to be a threat? To your software that you're making because it's well, never going to happen. Our software is not only it's not just an app. It, it is an enormous amount of technology and data. Uh, we have 50 computers running inside T-Mobile's network. Uh, we have a 500 server footprint running in Amazon, uh, and we have uh, numerous technologies. Uh, to be able to figure out who these bad guys are. We look at every one of T-Mobile's phone calls, examine everything about it. 
all the history that we can figure out about that phone number, all the characteristics of that SIP message, that phone, that initial message coming in. Hey, if I got a message from this number, I want to talk to this number. I figure out everything I know about that from number. It could be spoofed, so the number may be false, but a lot of the other data associated with that call gives me a clue. We call it call printing. We call print. And you do this in milliseconds. <clears throat> microseconds. Microseconds. It's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Really you is. know, you have a, <clears throat> just looking at you now, I've just noticed you have a big head. So, like a big brain in there. <laughs> What do we, we don't know what to think about that. <laughs> Where's she going with this? <laughs> I mean, only you could figure that out. I did have trouble finding a helmet big enough. <laughs> so I interviewed this, <clears throat> just to get off subject, I interviewed this brain surgeon, Steve yeah. Cathy, Dr. Steve Cathy, and he said somebody, people with big heads uh, have big brains, maybe, and that they, well, actually, he said people with big heads don't get alzheimer's but all right that's i'm, I'm way off the subject uh, we could do a whole topic on that because it's very interesting it, it is, is interesting but interesting. you do you are so smart only you could figure that out let's start at the beginning you're 17 and we're going to come back around to your to yeah. your to your business you're 17 your father's an entrepreneur yeah and you're already uh i guess you'd say ambitious because at 17 you go to new york city and make a presentation to some big dogs you have no and no. well it's 17 you know everybody i just we we're building a new house we just bought anderson windows for it and the reason i was going to new york was to stop in philadelphia to go to the anderson window factory when you were 17 when i was 17 with my 15 year old brother and we took a two-ton bob truck all the way to philadelphia and of course with the I, windows I, in the back I, well on the way back yes no i mean okay now we went up picked up a load of windows oh you but, picked them up uh the reason i was going uh up there my father uh decided that i needed to go to some plays in new york so he said i want you to drive the truck to philadelphia get on the train and go to new york and i will book uh, a, a number of plays for you to see over a two-day period you know, if you do it right, you can see a matinee and a night show and a next day matinee, and then you can get back on the train, go back to Philadelphia, get the truck, drive back to Fort Smith, Arkansas, which I did <clears throat> with my 15-year-old brother driving part of the time. And, you know, that truck, obviously, we're both illegal in this day and time to drive a truck like that. So, and But didn't you sell... Or you did something very unusual for a person your age. Well, you put together so, a deal at seventeen. Well, I, the, the 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 deal that that uh, you know you're talking about. I did I did you know several things in you know my career there. But the deal you're talking about in New York is the deal was I had figured out how to redesign uh, the mullion process for Anderson Windows that I had just dreamed up, and my father thought it was really cool, and he called president of Anderson Windows back then, this little big guy in, in Fort Smith, and said, so you got to see what my son's come up with. I'm going to send him up there. And he had this whole executive team and engineering staff. I had 12 people, and I'm sitting there with a 17-year-old kid with 12 senior engineers and executives, a pretty big company, and I'm telling them how to better make their windows. And I thought, this is very strange. But they listened to it, and they said, that's a wonderful idea. I have no idea if they did it. But I've invented several things along the way, which are just kind of fun. You know, you talked about dreaming. Mm -hmm. You look at something, and you say, you know, is there a better way to do that? Mm -hmm. You know, and you you think about it a while, and you may sleep on it. You say, hey, there's a better way to do that. I know what it is. Did you go to college? I went to, I got an engineering degree from the university, yeah. What did you think you were going to do? Oh, I was going to be a race car driver. Why? <laughs> That's why I go. So did you get an engineering degree so you could build the race car? No, I actually got an engineering degree uh, so I could get a really good high-paying job so I could afford to, you know, to be a race car driver. Because so it's I, an expensive hobby? Uh, it's insanely expensive. So anyhow. What happened to that career? Well, I, I, it was, I had a pretty successful racing career, actually. Tell I, me. Well, I... Uh, you know Paul Newman? I've raced against Paul a number of times. Uh, I knew Paul Newman, actually, as a race car driver. He's a really great guy. 
uh, I walked into the Hollywood uh, Beverly Hills Hotel one time, and he had, I just watched him drive an incredible race that day, and I was racing the next day. And Paul came in the lobby. He was so drunk he couldn't stand up. And Paul was known to like Budweiser. And, but he was he he was friendly and and he knew he was kind of drunk and he was kind of laughing at himself, you know. <laughs> and we rode the elevator up together. But you know, even that day, he, this was uh, when he was you know probably in his late fifties, early sixties, and he drove a professional race that I couldn't believe how well he did against some top world class professionals. And he was driving a car for Nissan and. He was a very talented race car driver and really a nice guy. Truly nice. Are you still racing? No, I drove my last uh, race in 2011, last professional race. But I am now blind and old uh, and and too fat. But, uh, you know, (laughs) old old and blind is the biggest problem, you know. Did you ever have a wreck? uh, Yeah, one reason I'm blind is I hit the wall at Watkins Glen at about 150, and I messed my eyes up. That's all you messed up? Yeah, in that case, I did. I didn't actually have any serious uh, physical injuries other than that. Had a broken rib once, and you know, busted a hand one time. So you but, go to NASCAR? Uh, I actually owned a NASCAR team at one time, <clears throat> a truck team. I actually drove a NASCAR race one time, finished it on the lead lap. Good for you. Doesn't mean anything, but it, uh, so you got out of college and you went to work for IBM as a systems engineer. Yeah. And I, uh, I really uh, knew nothing about software programming or computers when I went there. Uh, but I learned a lot at IBM, uh, learned that it's all about people. The people are the difference. IBM are really good people. And it is a lesson that I, I learned, uh, during my career at IBM. The second thing I learned is, you have to train people. You have to train people. IBM in those days had the training class in envy of the world, which is a lesson that I've carried with me forever. And it's one of my personal keys to success is if you have a successful company, particularly in technology, you've got to have world-class training programs, which we are doing even our little company now. I think that's something everybody and, puts off. They yeah. put it off. They put it off. I know yeah. I'm guilty of putting it off. And some other things I learned uh, at IBM is uh, you need to have a really good, strong culture in a company. Uh, sometimes that culture, you know, has the bad side of it, and sometimes the good side. The IBM's uh, culture was good. You think there's no stronger culture company in the world than Walmart, uh, and you can say there's some a lot of good things about that culture. It's created a very successful company. But it's also put an awful lot of stress on people, and it makes it not the, as we say in our world, we like to have a fun place to work. Mm-hmm. And if you produce, you get to keep your job. If you don't, you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walmart just sometimes makes it not fun even when you're doing your job, which is not good. Do you fire people yourself? I had to fire one about two weeks ago, yeah. You so still you're... fire people? Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, if they don't do their job, what's your least favorite thing to do? Well, that would be that would that would hit it up uh, at the top. I like to sell. I like to develop technology. I like to talk to customers. I like most everything about a job. I like, but uh, if if you read my first book, which I know you're lazy and you hadn't done yet, (laughs) that's right. Well, if it was accessible, but you, I you, you know, the, the, the thing about business is I like to do business. I don't like to deal with rules and regulations and stuff that is just there to get in the way of getting success you know, you. in the world. And, you know, I hate rules that are just there for a rule. You say, well, that's a rule. Well, wh- why? Well, it's, it's, it's rule 7C. We all have to follow that rule. Why? I don't understand. It's it's the rule. What do we do with that rule? Well, we, we get in people's way. Yeah. How are we going to use that and rule? Unfortunately, well, I don't know. unfortunately, that's you know one of the big problems, particularly like with the banking system today, because 
the, you know, the regulators run the banks. The bank executives don't run the banks. They all tell you that. Right. Yeah, I don't run my bank. It's run by these you know regulators that are in here all What's the time. What's the name of your bank? You have a bank? Uh, well, we've had you know several banks. We're dealing with some investment banks in New York. Oh, you're on the board of banks. Uh, I, well, I have been on the board of a bank before, but uh, you know we 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 use uh, you know we use several little rock banks. For when did things. the idea mm-hmm. to start a data gathering company come to mind? You're working at IBM. Well, you it, like it, didn't, it there. It didn't. I, you know, I really had uh, a friend who was in in a. You know, in a direct marketing business, and the idea of doing direct marketing was not originally for the for uh, commercial applications. It was originally for Democratic parties and politicians because the guy who funded it was a big Democrat, Charles Ward, the old Ward School Bus Company out of uh, Conway, and his whole idea was to help Democratic politics and party organizations and fundraising and all that kind of stuff. And he uh, uh, had hired one of my best friends. So, you know, the the business, I joined him at uh, uh, about the third year anniversary of that company. But the data gathering and all the data business Evolve. We got out of all the political stuff within a few years because I have no interest in that. I don't have any interest at all in being a politician. Mm-hmm. I was asked once to run for Senate in the state of Arkansas, and I went, that would be, you know, you could pull all my toenails and fingernails out first. Talk uh, about having no control and rules that don't oh, do anything. It oh, would be incredibly frustrating. Oh, oh I know. I, I I, I was uh, I was a friend of David Pryor, who I thought was a fine man, uh, mm-hmm. senator from Arkansas, and I was up in Washington. He had me testify a time or two up there on friendly test testimony about things, and I sat in you know just privately back in the back room chatting with him one day, and he said, "Charles, I'm going to retire because this place is no fun anymore." Now that would have been in like the early '80s, probably. Well, he'd really not like it now. Oh, 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 he said, it's just not fun. You know, we all used to work together when I first joined the Senate. We, you know, we worked together to get stuff done. And we went out together. Democrats, Republicans really didn't matter that much. Mm-hmm. But he said, it's gotten just ugly up here. And it hadn't even really gotten ugly yet. No, it, it hadn't even started getting So ugly. how did you decide on Axiom? How well, did you do, how did you move from that with twenty five people to start? Well, Axiom? it just started, no, the, it 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 was all just a morphing. It's just a morphing. We got rid of the, you know their business that we were originally doing, and I ended up buying all the stock. It's complicated. But I ended up owning the majority of stock, and then I gave away a lot of that stock. Did so, you just quit IBM and start this new one, or did well, you I, just I quit mo- IBM and went to work for this this company, this smaller a small company, company? Yes, that wasn't and, called Axiom. At oh, the time. No, it was Demographics. That's uh, right. It was and, Demographics, and that was for the political party, so that and, they could and do and the all Demographics that kind of stuff. And we did commercial work too. So it was the business by uh, you know I joined in seventy uh, two, and by nineteen seventy nine. Uh, it was, you know, the wards were out of it, and I was in control of the business and had morphed it into what really became Axiom. Started writing software, it, more and more software. Yeah, we were doing That's your, cl- that's and, your live, and, and live software, isn't it? What we were, yeah, I, yeah, d- developing software, which I still do, by the way. I still write some software, prototype software. But, <clears throat> uh, you know, the business just morphed. You know, it's like, we figured out we were working with a lot of data and a lot of people's data, and we said, well, why don't we try to build our own data assets so we don't have to use all their other crappy data. And, you know, it's just, you know, we just, it just, things morph. And then we have to build systems that better allow people to achieve the results they're trying to achieve. It's like achieve. you had the tiger mm-hmm. by the tail. It just kept growing and growing. It kept growing and kept growing. And all the guys that, you know, were our early competitors, we put out of business and, and you know, not uh, – not because we wanted not to, but just because you were better. We just had a lot better technology, and and by the way, that we had this this secret that nobody else did. We really tried to take care of our customers, and you know this whole thing: customers always right. You know, we we said at Axiom, you know, the customer is our most important asset. You know, the customer is king. We just delivered that. 
We do the same thing in our at First Orion now. It's we, we call it client intimate relationships. Client and I mean intimate, intimate relationships. Yeah. Yeah, it's I a like client that. intimate relationship. By that I mean, you know, I don't necessarily have to be your guest best friend, but I got to be the person you trust as much as anybody else in your own company. Too many uh, publicly <clears throat> traded companies have put the shareholders first. Uh, and oh. have, I think they've messed up. I think the well, stockholders. I think the even it, small. Yeah, even small I think it's companies. the customers, the employees, and then the shareholders. In my opinion, yeah. this is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Mr. Charles Morgan, founder of Axiom, and it's and was its CEO from 1972 to 2008. We'll find out why he left. Talk about his new company, First Orion, some more, and talk about the books he's written. He's written two. His latest one titled "What Now." And we're going to find out what he thinks the next big wave might be. And if we have time, we're going to talk a little bit more about his hobby, race car driving. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back right after the break. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, starting with door-to-door sales, then telemarketing, to mail order and catalog sales. And now, FlagAndBanner.com relies heavily on the internet and live chats with customers all over the world. Over this time, Carrie's business and leadership knowledge has grown. As early as 2004, she began sharing her knowledge in her weekly blog. In 2009, she founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom, and in 2014, Brave Magazine, a biannual publication. Today, she has branched out into podcasts, Facebook live stream, and YouTube videos of this radio show. Each week, you'll hear candid conversations between her and her guests about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that we hope you'll find interesting and inspiring. Stay up to date by joining FlagandBanner.com's mailing list. You'll receive our Water Cooler Weekly e-blast that notifies you of our upcoming guests, happenings at Dreamland Ballroom, sales at FlagandBanner.com, access to Brave Magazine articles, and Carrie's current blog post. All that in one weekly email. Or you may simply like FlagandBanner.com's Facebook page for timely notifications. Telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags. The FlagandBanner.com. Back to you, Carrie. Thank you, Gray. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Mr. Charles Morgan, founder, chairman, and CEO of Axiom from 1972 to 2008, and current CEO of his newest company, First, First Orion. Orion. <clears throat> Let's talk about the names. Axiom is a great name, and it means true. Yeah. To be a truth. truth. A, truth. a truth. You spelled a truth. it a little Absolutely. different. Was that yeah. your idea to name it Axiom? Well, it, no, it wasn't, actually. Uh, we hired an ad agency. Why do all presidents hired, of companies give the credit away to somebody else? You know, I, you know what? That kind of stuff is not. You know, I have a lot of people that work for me who are good at it, and so you hey, really my, didn't I, name it. Somebody else no, named let, it. Look, what mm-hmm. the, I, I, one of the first products that uh, I gave a name to at Axiom was called Demo Dupe. So you see why? Oh yeah. You see why they're laughing. <laughs> It sounds like a body that, function. I that, don't like that. At all. <laughs> that, that was the other. The other one. The other one that uh, uh, I named was the list order fulfillment system. Oh yeah, that bores me to death. Axiom <laughs> is the best name. I love that so, name, there, and I there, love your new st- name. There's actually a story behind it. Real quickly, okay, I'll right, tell you. Sure. We 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 fought among ourselves about what we had actually changed our name three times, and you know, and, and for all these crazy reasons. We became, we were, we came, you know, CCX. No, we came Conway Communication Exchange. Then we came CCX. Then we came CCX Network. And and the last time we changed our name, it turns out there was another company called CCS Network. We'd already changed our name a week, a month into it. And I'm coming back on an airplane from New York. And I'm saying CCX Network announces quarterly earnings. I'm reading it's our same name. I'm going, like, oh, my God. And so we went back. I said, we're going to get another name. Yeah. And, and, and and we went to an agency. They brought us 10 names. We all went. They threw up on them and said, that is really awful. And they they called us back in a week and said, we're gonna, can we try again? And uh, we said, 
Yeah, one more time. That's it. And we threw them out. We said, forget it. Yeah. You know, and they came back and they did their little flip thing. Instead of having 10 names, they had one. It was Axiom. And everybody said, that's it. Absolutely. <clears throat> it means a statement which is C-C-A-C-A. regarded as being true. I know right. you, you added a C. Yeah, because A-C-A. Remember, we were C-C-X. A-C-X. Oh, oh it worked so beautifully. It did. A statement which is regarded as yeah, being true, true, and that's yeah. what you did. You gave true data. A, a truth or law. or mm-hmm. st- yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You had originally 25 people. Yeah. You grew it to 7,000 people. Yeah. All you over were, the world, 14 I re- countries. I read where you <clears> said <throat> there were not enough DB employees, database right. employees in database. Arkansas, and right. that you had to set up a training program. So right. you would take these people who graduated from college with a computer some science degree. Some of them not even, a lot of them computer science degree. A lot of them, they were just, you know, they had been doing technical work and had the aptitude for it. But a lot of them were, most of them were college graduates, at least two years. How many people do you think you made millionaires? Uh, we done quite a few it that's actually one of my other goals i kind of set it out for myself is uh you know if i can make a millionaire then you know and it's a good person and i know they'll it'll make them happy and their family happy i'm i feel it's kind of one of my i just told somebody last week i said i kind of count my success at how many millionaires i can help find because as I told several people, you know, I really, if I make any more money, it won't matter because I, I, you know, I hate to do it, but I've got a house in Mexico and I've got a nice condo in Little Rock and I've got an airplane. What in the hell else do I need? Can't spend it fast enough. I don't need it. I can't. I said, what am I going to do? Buy a bigger airplane? Or, well, you, you know? almost lost it all, though. Oh, yeah. We have it several times along the route. That is the sign of a true (laughs) entrepreneur. Up and down, up and down. So Not that many up and downs, but I've had some, you know, there were a couple. Some big ones. Well, even in the Axiom days, we had a, you know, we invested some stuff and leveraged up. At the same time, the Axiom had a terrible crash and uh, all of a sudden the banks are calling and, you know, we, we were, we were leveraged up to the gills. Um. You said though that if a somewhere I read you said that if a if you're if the leader of the company is not looking to the future and investing in right. the future that they're not going to be in business for very long. That's right. So so, so you were doing that, but occasionally yeah. it sounds like the risk and in, in bet into the future was not always. Um, it did not always work out perfectly, but you no, still no, have to be does. do it. It never does. I mean. The, Every company has a lot of twists and turns. You can you can have the greatest entrepreneurial idea in the world, and you can decide you're gonna you're gonna do banners, and it turns out flags are a better business. Yeah, here's your quote: A leader's job <clears throat> is to keep one keep one eye on the future yeah. and invest in the future. An organization stuck in yeah. the present is doomed to be left in the past. And, and 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 that's exactly what happens when large companies build their big bureaucracies up because it's. Uh, a whole culture that is around, you know, making your business plan, achieving enough level of success so that you keep your job and you get promoted. And and that is true in so many larger companies. That is so uncreative, though. I know. Well, that's but it's such a great advantage for a company to be creative. And, and to be completely frank with you, one of my frustrations, in, you know, with Axiom was when it gets to be 7,000 people, I said, it's like herding cats. You know, now you have to deal with board members and, and Sarbanes-Oxley and the accountants and the lawyers and to send, you know, uh, shareholder lawsuits and proxy battles and just, you know, all the CRAP you have to deal with. CRAP? <laughs> you mean crap? Did he say crap or did he spell carp? <laughs> <laughs> So well, that's another conversation for another time. <laughs> so you were there thirty five years. You were yeah. the uh, were you, you were the CEO, and then you were the chair. So you're the founder. No, the CEO, I was. The, I stayed CEO the whole time. Really. And you kind of were into forced retirement. Yeah, it, I, that's that's pretty upsetting. Yeah, that's your uh, baby. Well, I, uh, you know, we had a. Uh, it was after two thousand, uh, you know, seven. We had the huge financial crisis and. We were in the middle of a go private transaction and go the, private. 
Yeah, we were take, we were going to we had a PE deal. We were taking the company private in 2007, and that's where the financial crisis occurred. So we already had the the committed finances. My goal at the time we went private was to get it private, and I was planning on retiring. I already moved to Dallas uh, to you know for a tax haven, effectively. Mm-hmm. No for, income tax, no state ta- income yeah, tax there. Uh, and I was going to live down there for a while, which we did for five years, or off and on for five years. But uh, you know, it was not uh, a fun time as this thing blew up. The banks couldn't fund it. Uh, and we'd been having a proxy battle before that, and I'd brought in some, I'd stupidly brought in some, you know, uh, the guy who ran the uh, who ran the PE firm that in, embarked on the proxy battle against us, the investor, and he had a pay. And you brought the in. guy. You brought the enemy into the camp. I, I, well, you is know that what? the way to say? You it? know what? It, it, it is, but you know, he came to me. And the head of the firm came to me and said. Flew into Little Rock, and I met in Bill Dillard's hangar with him privately, a big secret meeting, and he said, you beat me. You beat me. And I, my career is destroyed if I can't save a little face. And I hate to see say it, but he was the biggest lying SOB. You know, if you can't trust people, uh, you know, this guy's a piece unto himself. But anyhow, I let him in. I let him in. And why did uh, he say you beat me? Well, because it was a proxy battle. We had a proxy battle. And, uh, you know, the guy came, flew in, begged me to, uh, he said, I'll give up all claims, everything. Let me come on your board for six months. And then I'll just, you know, resign for six months. Well, he lied about that. You know, as got on the board and he, began to undermine start, the, the yeah, culture he, of the board, probably. Well, he undermined the culture and he, he started bringing in. Influence the board to bring in some other outside consultants. You know, long story short is, you know, I was not in the mood to put up a lot of CRAP again. And <laughs> Carp. So we got no, we got kidding. in a we got in a bit of a fight, and he actually fomented a, a palace coup on me. And uh, what the heck? Yeah. And it was just oh, so you 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 were into forced retirement. Yeah, and, it was and, ugly. You have a big heart. Anybody that knows you, you are an uh, open book. You took this guy in. You let him on the board. They let me hire my replacement, though. Oh, did you like nice. him? I I must start cussing now. Did you like him? No, they brought they brought me three candidates and said we can't figure out who to pick. Can you? Oh pick, my gosh! Can you pick this one? They, they gave me. They gave me three. Go. Three bad ones, uh, and uh, you know, I thought I'd taken the least of the three evils. It turned out to be the most evil of the three. So now you're in this company that oh my gosh, the time's flying. So now we're in this company that you're out of this company that's your baby. You've got to be depressed. Well, I, I think I I was lost a little bit. I would have been I think, so lost. I think you. I think when you've been doing something and it's been all consuming for so many years, but. <clears throat> You're living in Dallas. I was still, I You're was, lost. I, uh, you know, by this time, I had accumulated some some amount of wealth, and so I wouldn't worry about living. Uh, but I decided that, you know, since I like data, well, there's a lot of data related to investing, so I was going to learn how to invest. I was still doing my race car driving, and I was also owned a race car team. And, yeah, but you don't make money at those. Oh, Lord, no, you spend all. That's how you make a small fortune from a large fortune as you've raised. That's right. Let me tell everybody, in case they're just tuning in, that you're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with author, visionary, and risk taker, Mr. Charles Morgan, founder of Axiom and current CEO of his company, The First Orion. So, did I say it right? No. Orion. Oh, I said it wrong again. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's like Orion's belt. I don't know you why I can't coach, remember that. You have to coach mothers, don't you? It's, you know, it's a, it's a family affair. Job. Yeah. It's yeah. a full-time it's a job. <laughs> Orion's belt. I should be able to remember that because it's another it. great name because it's a great yeah. constellation. He's a warrior. You didn't yeah. name that either, I guess. No. So how did <laughs> – no, of course not. It'd be named Dumpy's belt or something. No, exactly. <laughs> so now you're in Dallas trying to figure out what you're going to do, and you hear about this company. Yeah, first and I, I, invest, I invest in First Orion. It's kind of – you know, here I'm – you know, I'm, I'm like – I'm going to do investments, and 
this business was, an, it was it it wasn't even you know smartphones yet. It was investing in telephone networks and helping people block unwanted callers. And it's for landlines, I guess. Landlines, because there weren't any cell phones then, really much. In two thousand and eight, please. No, oh, ma'am, not much. Not like today. No, there was very few, relatively few cell phones. I mean, relatively smartphones few. probably. Well, there weren't any smartphones. I in mean, two thousand and eight. Well, there, there were these big old, you know, these clunky big old thing. clunky okay. and right. flip phones and stuff. We were not very much into uh, cell phones, and <clears throat> so okay. So, so anyhow, uh, I, I invested as minority shareholder, and I wasn't mm-hmm. even planning on to run it. But I knew if I was going to invest in, I wanted one of my guys to be in in it in a key figure. So, uh, I. Uh, put a, a trusted Axiom uh, guy who left the company by that time, Jeff Jeff Stallnaker, into that into that role, and Jeff uh, was in Conway, and we had an office in Conway, and the, the actual the main guy that made me you know got me into this thing was in Boston, and so he wanted an office in Boston, so here we are, a company with like four employees, two. One in Boston and three in Conway, Arkansas. And you in Dallas. And and me in Dallas. But I wasn't really, in the first six or eight months, I wasn't really involved in the company at all. I said they had milestones, and I'd put $1 million in it, and I was going to put another million in it if they achieved certain milestones. They achieved none of the milestones, but they still wanted the other million. I said no. And uh, you know, I loaned them some money, and one thing led to another. They achieved no milestones ever. Uh, but Jeff had been doing some skunk works, and he and his guys had come up some what with kind of work? Skunk works. That's where you're doing stuff that is kind of not officially sanctioned by the you know oh, okay. by the by the owner then uh, or the CEO at that time. Research. Let's call it research. Yeah, it was research. Yeah, it's 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 private research, not okay. company. Sponsored, okay. basically, right. even though it might have been funded by the company, essentially. But anyhow, they were they they said, "Why don't we do this with smartphones and put a blocking application on a BlackBerry?" Which they did, and it worked, and it you know quickly became popular with people that wanted to block calls like debt collectors or. Mm-hmm. Angry ex-girlfriends, or you know stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I ended up uh, getting the other guy out of it. That's a long story. We could spend an hour talking about that. You're whole so saga. you've got so many stories. So that so many sagas there. But anyhow, so uh, he's gone. So the, you've taken over majority I ownership. In 2009. I'm in. I am in control of the business by 2010. But I didn't, um, you know, I became active, pretty active in 2012 because the company just wasn't getting there. It was spending a lot of money and wasn't getting there. Your money. And by this time, I had not $1 million, not $2 million, but about 3 or $4 million in it uh, by late 2000 or by 2012. So four years on a startup and you're still losing money. Uh, losing my lot. And so the first quarter of 2013 – uh, you know, we made some investments that turned out bad. We lost about 500000 And I said, no. I said, we're spending too much of my money. I'm looking over their shoulder all the time. I'm mm-hmm. saying, oh, I don't like this. I said, you can't. You either let somebody run a company or you run it. And I said, I got to run it. So uh, I, I effectively took over from Jeff, who was it ended up, it's this long story. Jeff was, it was the stress of him and about put him under. And so I, I, t- I actually told Jeff, take a month off and get his life back together. And I'll run the company and I'll be, I'll keep running it when you come back. But yeah, I said, you're not fired. He said, no, I didn't. And there was no intention to fire him. Right. He was so, doing the best he could. He was. And it almost killed him, the stress of it. And the startup. People need to realize startup businesses, oh. you just got to change positions oh. all the time. You got to uh, look at something, uh, go, this uh, is not working, go to another uh, direction. It takes a certain kind of mentality that and, you have you to be also, able to let go and, of it. And, and you move. also have to get people in a small company to believe. And yes, you do. They have to trust you. And Thank I walked you. in, I walked in that day that I took over and I made a little speech and I said, 
this company is going to make money by November, six months from now. We're going to make money. And I said, we're going to grow revenue this way, and we're going to cut expenses. And, you know, there will be, you know, some pain to go around, and uh, there will be some people that will have to leave, and there will be some people that have to take salary cuts. But when we do all this, the people that are remain, I will make up the lost uh, money and, and, you know, times two, which we have, by at least more than that. And, you know, the company will be, will make money from that point forward, which it did and it has. <clears throat> I love that. One of the three reasons I think people uh, believe in you and trust you is because you lay it out in really uh, um, easy to understand for a really smart guy with a big head. You can really talk straightforward to people about the way you just said that. It's just being honest. It's, it's really easy. Your honesty is so deep. It's even in the way you have a conversation with people because you cuss and don't make any excuses for it. I love the frankness of you because some people try to kind of hide who they are. You don't hide who you are to anybody. You don't do that. I don't think anybody's confused where I'm coming from. Ever. And I think that builds trust. I think it builds followers because they trust you exactly like you said. They trust you. I, I one time I one time was having a meeting with a CEO of a company as big as we were at Axe and this was you know, we were about a billion dollar company and he was, you know, three quarters of a billion dollar company. And uh we'd been negotiating for about a day. And I, and, I, and I finally said, dude, this is BS. Yeah. And, I said, and I said, I, we're never going to be able to work with you. But you know what? We were in Cabo St. Lucas. I said, I'll tell you what let's do. Why don't we go out and drink whiskey together and just, and just BS and have a nice time tonight and then go home tomorrow. And by the way, his top lieutenant it's worked for me almost ever since. He quit him and can't work for me. It's that frank honestness. Well, I'm going to change your name from Charles to Frank. Frank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you were a little bit naive when you started. I kind of oh. figured that. And then, like you said, it took four years. You finally had to get in there. I think you're really enjoying it, though, aren't you? Oh, my God. This company is going to be. It's We're we're doing the same thing we did at Accent, but, you know, I learned so much. And I'm taking all those learnings, and I am trying to correct them to the greatest degree I can. And I still make a lot of mistakes, as do companies do. But we have shortcut so many things we should have done at Axiom when we were small. We've already done them. The training programs and the, you know, the hiring programs and the culture, the whole culture development of the program uh, for everybody and this whole client intimate thing that we're doing with our client co- intimate. T Mobile loves us. We are now doing things at T Mobile. We're, we're going to know more about how T Mobile's network runs than they do. It's crazy. You said, I love the process of building a team, setting up a strategy, and solving problems. More specifically, yeah. solving problems with other people. That's right. Well, we talk about solving problems yeah. with other people. You are 80 million people you're solving problems for. So you wrote a book because you've learned so much. You just wrote a book called uh, Now What? Now What? Yeah, what is Now What? What's the next big thing? Do you know? You know, it's really interesting, Mm -hmm. but the real next big thing is the thing that we're working on right now. You know us for scam calls, but nobody answers their phone right now because they don't know who's calling. And even if we get rid of scam calls, people are not used to answering the phone, but if if your phone lights up, the whole screen lights up and said, this is a certified call from your bank, America or American Express, you will answer that call. So you call. want to do caller ID? That's basically it's, caller it's, ID it, for it, everybody? It, 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 but it's a caller ID that is why they are calling. If you're getting a, a call from Home Depot, wouldn't it really be nice if it says, your Home Depot uh, delivery man is calling are you there for me? And the whole thing's on the front screen. It's a message. Sends you a message, and all you have to do is say yes. I'm, you know, I'm ready. Well, aren't they doing that with text right now? I mean, we are doing that. No, with, with the call, no, no, with the, no, with the call. The call could People don't answer text for hours sometimes. Oh, 
I see what you're and, saying. Because they ask you, you want to call, you want to text, and I'll leave, I want to text. Yeah, that's fine. You want to text, but if you don't see your text, and the the uh, the thing is, there are so many things that are immediate. It's like if you if your if your account has been compromised at the bank, and they want to see if that's a you know uh, a real charge, they, they they start calling you, texting you, and emailing you. It would really be nice if. You know, they could just light your screen up and say, guess what? Did you make this charge at, you know, at Lowe's? Mm-hmm. At Lowe's? And you'd say yes. Why'd you write this book? Now what? I think because a lot of people have asked me about the same thing they ask you. How do you do it? How to do it. I want to open a pie shop. How do I, I do wanna, it? Exactly. I want to open a pie shop, and I'm really interested in what you're doing. And I'm, So it's a teaching book. Yeah, and the first one was too. If you read it, it's it was an autobiography. But uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, the same David Pryor talked to me that I was talking about earlier, former senator of Arkansas, said that book ought to be required reading for every graduate of every business school in Arkansas. It's it really that was the intent when we set forth. It was going to be talking about my life and all exciting stuff it was it was the story of building a business and the stories of are you uh, trying to that. teach people to take risks or what are you trying to teach no them? i think calculated risk i want you to risk but i want you to take very calculated risk don't bet the farm you did you no, have. i did i tried to calculate my risk but occasionally you get over your skis a little too far and when you get over your skis a little too far and things around you are circumstances like a you know, a recession or a financial crisis or something that's out of your control might come along. But they didn't take me down. They just got me, you know. One of the things that I think I ask everybody when they call me and they ask me for business advice, which is one of the reasons I started this radio show, Mm -hmm. is to, to pay forward kind of what we've been talking about today, is I say, let's go ahead and jump to the worst case scenario. Yeah. And if you and you and tell me what you think the worst thing is that could happen out of your risk you're about to take, and when they tell me, yeah. and I say, can you live with that? Yeah. And if they say yes, then I say, go, go ahead, for it. jump. I, I I say don't ever do anything. Look, if you're doing something you know seriously entrepreneurial, don't get so deep into it that it's going to ruin your life. In other words, if you, you can afford to lose this money. You can afford to lose the relationships that you might lose if you get all your family and friends into something. Then go ahead, but assume it's going to fail or assume, you know, look terrible. At the, look at the worst case scenario. Look, look, I always do that. Yeah, and, and often people go, well, that'll never happen. I say, well, you know. You know, we've had a Great Depression, and you know you, you might have a tornado come through. You might have, you know, another economic upset. You know, you could be in California, have an earthquake, and takes your building out. You know. I hope you'll come back and talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about technology in the future, which we've been doing today, but about healthcare, about cloning, about ecology. Yeah, you're going to have to come back on. To, we're going to talk yeah. about healthcare. Thank you for coming on. Here's your gift. Thanks. Guess oh. what that is? It's a desk sit with the U.S. flag and Arkansas flag. That's, that's a race car. That's, Those, there you go. End of race. That's for me. Well, first lap, end of race. What's the other one, Gray? Uh, White flag, yeah, second to end. That's, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Second to last, last, last lap. Yeah. Last yeah. lap. Yeah, he knew. Yeah. All right. Thank you again for coming to see me, coming Thank to talk you. to everybody. Uh, I want to tell everybody and I want to tell our listeners who, uh, if you might have a great entrepreneurial story that you'd like to share, send a brief bio and your contact info to me and someone will be in touch. Thank you to everyone for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. Next week on Up In Your Business, a realtor around town that you probably have heard of or even met or done business with, the wonderful Val Hansen. And here's a portion of the show that you can look forward to hearing, a story about his father. He uh, came from Cuba. He's from Cuba. No. Can't you tell him I'm fourth Cuban? No. So, uh, yeah. he Not at all. Yeah. He came from Cuba when he was 18, uh, spoke no English. 
Are you fixing to cry? No. Yes, you are. This is a moving story for you. So was it the Cuban? He fled Cuba because of the war. No, no, no. He came here and he came here in 1926. So he um, came here, spoke no English, $50 in his pocket, one set of clothes, and uh, came through Ellis Island and um, uh, into New York to New York City. How did he get to Arkansas? Well, what happened is he went to um, New York University and um, uh, and he doesn't speak English, no English at all. And and then um, uh, got his degree there, and then got a degree in dentistry, and then left New York and went to Kansas City to med school, and got his uh, did his residency in surgery, and then some guys from uh, Helena said, well, "Where are you going to go practice?" He said, "Hell, I don't even know where I am." He's from Cuba, so um, <laughs> they said, "Well, come with us to Helena." So he said, "Okay." So he, he went down to Helena and saw there's too many doctors there, and backtracked to. Uh, monroe arkansas and that's where he ended up and uh you can believe that no uh delivered 4800 babies worked. so he's an OBGYN. no he was a family practice doctor pulled teeth had a had a dental chair in his office pulled teeth saw patients every day uh worked till he was 85 and um where do you meet his wife well he met her in new york so he he kind of tricked my grandmother so he went he came down and got his practice started, went, went back to New York and said, hey, uh, come, to, come to Monroe and we'll work here for a couple of years and then we'll move back there. But that didn't happen. So he brought her back from New York. Where's she from? Was she American? Yes. Her family was from Sicily, as a matter of fact, which is another story right there. Pretty cool. Okay, go ahead. No, I won't tell that. Oh. <laughs> That's next week's guest on Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, Realtor Val Hansen. Some wonderful stories in that program. Also, in the coming weeks, you'll hear uh, business interviews with Craig O'Neill, recently retired from THV 11, with an incredible woman named Olivia Wyatt, which I can't wait for you to hear that story. And there's lots more fascinating guests coming up on Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy. You've been listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Subscribe to podcasts wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.